Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, let's read this together. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love this, this passage. You ready? Here we go. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, say it with me, there is freedom. Let's read that verse one more time. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is together, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Can I get an amen? So, before we get into this amazing text, which talks about how we experience transformation through the Spirit, um, I want to talk a little bit about philosophy, psychology, willpower, and the backstory of this text. You guys good? So give me 10 minutes. or jump in to discuss some, some details that will help us understand why we need the power of God. I know it's assumed, but why? Um, first of all, one of the things that separates us humans from animals is something called the will, our will. So Harry Frankfurt, a professor of philosophy at Princeton University, coined this language in the 70s. Now stick with me just for a few minutes. He called it first and second order desires. Your first order desires are your base, your primal instincts. Like like animals, we desire food, shelter, water, sleep, sex, safety, power. And beyond that, the language of the New Testament calls it your flesh. Your desire to yell at someone who cuts you off into traffic is first order. Your desire to gossip, we could say is the flesh, is your first order. Your desire to lust or, or have anger, harbor anger and resentment and envy, those are first order desires. You with me? Second order desires are your higher human desire to want to want something better. You with me? So those of us that are struggling, struggling with inappropriate anger towards our spouse, you do it out of habit. That's first desire. But there's something inside of you that's like, I, 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 I want to have patience. I don't want to have inappropriate anger. And, and so that's the second um, order of desire. So let's just say, another way to describe it is like, the, let's say tonight you're walking on 2nd Street after you had a great meal at Nick's on 2nd Street, okay? Um, not that any of you have eaten there or you've eaten their ribeye sandwich melt, which is amazing. Um, but you're walking on 2nd Street and you smell sweet Jill's cinnamon rolls. Nine o'clock at night. Your first order of desire is that you go to Sweet Jill's, buy the cinnamon rolls, and eat heaven on earth. What's your second order of desire? Your second order of desire is to wake up tomorrow morning not feeling gross and foggy and uncomfortable from the dense sugar overload you consumed. So this is what Frankfurt says. He says, the ability to override your first order desires is what Frankfurt called second order volition. Volition is the power to use one's will. So you're outside sweet Jill's and your second order of volition is the ability to exercise your willpower muscle and keep on walking. You with me? Okay, stay with me with me just for a little bit. So this is what he says. He says this, freedom is freedom to do what one wants to do. And the statement that a person enjoys freedom of the will means that he is free to want 
what he wants to want. Or more precisely, it means that he is free to will what he wants to will. It is in securing the conformity of his will to his second order of volition, then, that a person exercises true freedom of the will. Now, let me just paraphrase that. What he's saying is this. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. It's not the ability to give in to whatever uh, uh, urge or desire you have in the moment or impulse. Our culture is huge on this. We define freedom as following your heart's desire. You guys with me? We don't have to, like this is the cultural narrative. Do what is deep inside of you. But Matthew, or Mark chapter 7 verse 20 says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from, it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside a person and defile them. The New Testament calls that following your urge, your desires, to slavery, bondage. Freedom, true freedom, is the ability to want the right thing. And then to have the willpower to overcome your first order desires and do the right thing. You guys with me? This is Paul's famous Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do. Right? So that's what's going on here from a philosophy or psychological perspective. Which means to live in freedom, true freedom, takes willpower. The problem is your will doesn't have much power. We're almost done with this section. Just stick with me. Your will is like a muscle and it has a, it's a finite resource. Meaning you only have so much of it. So if you start a diet, you wake up in the morning and you think, I'm going to eat a good meal. And so in the morning, you eat a healthy meal. But your willpower runs out as the day goes on. Do you know what I'm talking about? So you get to dinner and you make it, but then all of a sudden you're breaking down because you want the sugary donut that you saved from three days or whatever it is, dessert. Your, your will loses its power over time. It's, it's, not, it's full in the morning, but you struggle in the evening. So one of the key tasks of discipleship to Jesus is to learn how to exercise our will and make it stronger so that in the moment of temptation, we have a second order of volition, the power to override the flesh or our first order desires in order to live the way of Jesus. This is the goal of training as an apprentice of Jesus. So how do we exercise our will um, we exercise our will to make it stronger. How do we do it? We exercise it to make it stronger. It can be tricky because here's why. We can't influence our will directly. You have to do it indirectly. So this will all make sense like this. So anyone that struggled with temptation or lust, let's say um, you're, uh, you're facing temptation. It's 10 o'clock at night. You're alone in your room. Your phone is open to Instagram and you desire to look at pornography. You don't have enough willpower in that moment to say no. You can't just say, willpower, be stronger. It doesn't work. Are you with me? You can replace pornography with any other addiction, food, gossip, envy, jealousy, any type of discipline where you don't want to fall into the temptation. We can't influence our, our will directly by saying, 
gets stronger, but we can do it indirectly. And how do we influence and exercise our will indirectly? The answer is the whole process of transformation through community, through spiritual disciplines and practice, and through biblical teaching. So over a long period of time, when that moment of temptation comes, we can't just say we'll be stronger, but we can, long before that moment ever happens, that temptation comes, we can be disciplining ourselves by reading the scriptures, practicing spiritual disciplines, living in a covenantal community that's holding us accountable, and exercising our will to get to a place where in that moment we can say no to that temptation. Are you with me? Now, that's really good news for many of us. We're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's why I'm struggling. Yes, that's part of the reason. You're not exercising your will. You're not growing to say no to those temptations. You're just stumbling along because you, you don't have community in place. You don't have biblical teaching or new narratives, and you don't have spiritual practices. Here's the bad news. No matter how much willpower you actually have, it will never be enough for you to live the way of Jesus, which is why self-help will always fail. Which is why when we say to people, sorry, just pray more, it's not going to fix the deeper issues. Or just join a Bible study and read the Bible more. It won't fix the deeper issues. Um, So these small changes of transformation, like reading your Bible before you open your phone throughout the day. Or joining a community and learning to live in authentic community. Why um, not having that second or third glass of wine. Or why resisting yelling at people in traffic is good. And we can do that by willpower alone. But it's not enough to transform your inner being especially when there's deep ingrained patterns that go back to your family of origin, to your personalities, that deal with serious issues like anger that results from perfectionism or gluttony as a result of some childhood trauma or anxiety or addiction. When we have those things come up, our willpower is creamed and we follow our old self. Are you with me? It's not, an, it's not that willpower is bad. It's that the problem is it's not enough. We need access to a power that's beyond us. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us. And this is where AA is so profound because anyone that's gone through Alcoholics Anonymous or have studied the 12 steps, um, I just want to read the first three steps. What I love about it is there's been millions of people that have gone through AA and there's various kind of um, statistics out there for those that have experienced alcoholic addiction, there, there are statistics out there that say some say it's 50% effective. Some say it's 75%. So 75% of those that go into AA with an alcoholic addiction are set free from the 12-step program in AA, what it provides. It's a massive transforming community. Um, and the first three steps, number one is this. We admit we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. The first place is we're powerless to change ourselves. The first step, this is, and I I just want you to know, I admire the 12 steps for lots of reasons. I feel like the church, um, I wish the church was as transformative as the 12 steps. Like, uh, I was just heard this this phrase that if you, it's it's interesting that the church produces uh, people that stay in it long enough will produce older brothers, like the prodigal son, the Pharisees that are angry at the prodigals. A.A., never produces older brothers. It produces people that will set other people free. Anyway, so number one, and I think there's something there, and I don't know exactly what, but let's, let's move on. Um, number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step number two is recognizing there's a higher power. We know that power to exist as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, who created all things, is that power. 
Step number three, they made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I mean, do you see the ingenious of this? I mean, it comes from Christian faith. AA comes from a Christian tradition. And they universalized it to make it as impactful as possible for other people. For us as Christians, I just want to, I just want to, and you can argue with me about this, but the point is if you are any, if you need any type of transformation or change in your life, to recognize you have limited power to actually change is a good thing. You can do all the replacing of false narratives as possible, all the spiritual practices as possible, join and be as covenanted into a community as possible, but there's still, you still need massive help. And the answer is entering into an ongoing loving relationship with the Holy Spirit who wants to transform you from the inside out, who wants to renovate your inside to empower you to bring renovation to others. And that's what 2 Corinthians is about. Let's read this passage one more time. So this is Paul. He says, now the, spirit of, uh, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image which, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now this passage um, is just anchored in this Exodus story. So if you have a Bible, go to Exodus, because to understand what Paul's getting at, we have to know the story of Exodus, specifically what happens when the law comes down. So in Exodus chapter 34, um, Paul is referring back to this text to understand what, what God wants to do when we become followers of Jesus and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and learn to live in loving relationship with the Spirit of God. Um, Paul's referring to this passage. It's obscure, but it's in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Exodus 34, verse 29. So it says this. Are you guys with me? Are we good? Okay, okay. All that willpower cycle, you're like, get me back to the Bible. Here we are, Exodus. Okay, like, like, like. Um, When Moses came down, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with, the, with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So this story essentially is when, when Moses goes and experiences the glory of the Lord, where he speaks face to face with God, in the presence of God, the glory, his face is like a mag light. It's shining on everyone. It's, the, it's just this physical sign of the presence of being in the presence of God. So what you need to know is when Moses goes into the presence of the Lord to see the glory of love, to be in this relationship, to, to experience his presence, he comes back and his face is shining. So he has to put literally a, a mask on because it's so bright. What you need to know and what Paul is getting to is that's Moses' experience with the glory of God 
with Israel, Moses was the only one who experienced the presence of God. Are you with me? So go back to that 2 Corinthians passage, and let's just read through this, and I'm going I'm to break it down. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now when Paul refers to the, uses the phrase the Lord, he's almost always referring to Jesus. But here he calls the Spirit the Lord, which we know to be a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so he's saying God's empowering presence, the empowering presence of God is Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is going back to Exodus. The story of Exodus is the people of God were in bondage. They were slaves to Egypt. And when the Spirit of God moved in Israel, it brought freedom to the Israelites. And he's referring to a different type of bondage. The people of God are set free by the Spirit of God. Are you with me? And the world is held in bondage to sin, slavery, to the, uh, to the enemy of God, the Satan or Satan, the devil, um, the, dark, the, uh, the kingdom of darkness. And so what Paul is saying, he's using this as an illustration. The people of, um, are enslaved, but when God's spirit is present, there is freedom and liberation. And it, then he goes on, he says, um, and we all, who with unveiled faces, so that's a direct reference, we all get to enter into the presence of God like Moses. We don't have to worry, we don't have to, we all get to experience this. And then it says, contemplate the Lord's glory. And the verb for contemplate in Greek means to stare at something in the mirror. You get to stare at something in the mirror. And in Corinth, Corinth was a famous location. Their number one export were, were these bronze mirrors. So it's a very contextual thing to the, the city of Corinth. It would be like um, the export of Los Angeles. The number one thing we export is the Kardashians, of course. And then, um, just kidding. Or like going to Portland and Paul having some reference to coffee. Um, or Long Beach, he would have a reference to gangster rap. But um, just kidding. There's, what, what, what would be the other things, like the port of Long Beach? What would be some of the other things that you love about Long Beach? If I, if I travel somewhere, Long Beach is known for diversity. Yeah, we are the most diverse. What else? Queen Mary? Aquarium? Really? What? The aquarium? Skateboarding? Yeah, that's true. Skateboarding. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your participation. So uh, we're contemplate, but that the idea of contemplate is this relationship. When we're staring at the glory, we contemplate God's glory. The idea is, is this ongoing relationship with God. So as we have this ongoing relationship with God, we are being transformed into his image. As we live in this relationship with the Holy Spirit, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. We are becoming more like Jesus. Through relationship with the Holy Spirit. With ever increasing glory, which I love it, is basically a little bit at a time. Over a long period of time. So it's, it's this gradual process as we learn to live an ongoing loving relationship with God. Through His Spirit, we are being transformed and changed into the image of Christ and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It happens by God. Gordon Fee writes this. He says, Through Christ and by the Spirit, we are being transformed so as to bear the likeness for which we were intended at the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2. 
One takes the spirit lightly in Pauline theology and in Christian experience at great risk. For here lies the glory that by the spirit we not only come to know God, but come to live in his presence in such a way as constantly to be renewed into God's image. As we live into relationship with the spirit, we are being transformed. This is the most important piece to this whole transformation thing. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to live in ongoing loving relationship with the presence of God in our life. I want us to love Jesus and live in relationship with Jesus. This is the thing we need more than anything else. All the other religions in the world will help you live a more peaceful life. You might experience some type of transcendence. You might deal with some anger. You might deal with your past. You can go through therapy. But the the only religion that has it figured out is Christianity where the Spirit himself learns, you learn to live in relationship with him to experience the person you were intended to be in the first place. And as we become more like Jesus, you become more fully yourself in, in Christ. This transformation requires us to be filled with the presence of God. It involves us regularly experiencing the presence of God in our ordinary lives. That happens through two ways. Breakthrough moments and process moments. So how do we experience an ongoing loving relationship with God? Well, first of all, there are breakthrough moments. These moments that are unplanned. These moments that are uh, rare, one-offs, and they kind of come out of nowhere, and they radically alter our life and accelerate our transformation. When we're touched by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can leap forward in transformation and growth. Breakthrough moments are so important for the spiritual life. I've had multiple breakthrough moments in my life. I, I, the, result, the church plant is a result of a breakthrough moment I had with the Holy Spirit in the UK. I grew up in church, and I never heard about this ongoing loving relationship with God. Or even, I never, was, I never saw a context where people would come forward or people would actually open themselves up to God and people who are, are interceding for them could use spiritual gifts and access the mysteries of the heart and unlock the presence of God in their lives. I, I, I hadn't experienced that until I was 22 in the UK. And then I, I came back planting a church going, I want to lead a church. I want to be a part of a church. I don't care about leading. I want to be a part of a church that, that creates space for the presence of God to be there. Which is why week after week, we should expect people to come forward or stand up or raise a hand. And we should expect ourselves to find ourselves being prayed for for those breakthrough moments. Because God will accelerate transformation in our lives. The stories are unbelievable in our church. Every week people are being healed. Every week people are having prophetic words spoken over them, words of knowledge. This is the training ground for out there. Because breakthrough moments happen out there if you're willing to participate. So we're, we're talking about praying for people. I, I love what you were sharing. Like It's terrifying to pray for strangers on the street. If your perspective is, what are they going to think of me? If your perspective is people are thirsty and I have an ocean of water behind me, the Holy Spirit, and I'm coming to love them with the presence of God, it changes the whole dynamic. I, if people, I pray for people all the time and I'm never worried about what they think. I'm more concerned about them experiencing the presence of God in their life. Now that has taken years of praying for strangers on the streets, disciplining myself. And when we come forward, we want breakthrough moments. We want breakthrough moments on, out in the street. I, just this last week, I was at Bridgetown, and I preached on fasting 
as standing in solidarity with the poor. So it was, a, it was not a light subject. And, um, and the Isaiah 58 passage, and, and this guy comes up to me, and he didn't really belong in a downtown church, in my opinion. I, I just, I stereotyped him as more of like someone who probably worked on a farm. And, um, and he comes up to me, there's all these people getting prayer, and he says, I hated your sermon, which is not really a great opener. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, but then he went on, he's like, but I don't want to hate it. And I thought you could pray for me. And I was like, wow. I'm like, thank you so much for your willingness to come forward to convert. And let me pray. As I'm praying for this man who's clearly struggling to connect with compassion, um, the Spirit of the Lord reveals all sorts of stuff in his life to me. And it's called the word of knowledge. And I never know if it's from God. I just, hey, I'm sensing this, this. And all of a sudden, it it just starts to unravel to the point where he's a, a drooling, sobbing mess at the end hugging me, saying, thank you, thank you. And he had a tangible breakthrough moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. When I opened my mouth to pray for him, I had nothing. But there was a God who had something. We need to be people who experience breakthrough moments in our lives, but are willing to help others experience breakthrough moments. We carry the presence of God with us. The garden, brothers and sisters, we need to steward the presence of God for Long Beach and beyond. And if the struggle is you're still struggling with your marriage, I get it. We need to get work on our marriage. We need to, get, we need to heal. We need to get cured. We need to get help in, in our community and individual issues. But do that with community so that you can give it away. Because that's the end. AA, the 12th step, is giving what you've experienced in freedom away to others. Process moments are the everyday planned routine moments of abiding in the vine. So you could have massive breakthrough moments on Sunday or some random hilltop experience. Brothers, we're going to have massive breakthrough moments on the men's retreat. I'm just saying right now, I believe the Lord's going to set a lot of men free. I'm just going to speak prophetically. I mean this. I'm, in my heart, I know this trip is going to be massive for men in our church. We're going to set some things into place. Some of you are terrified. Great. Come with that discomfort. Allow God to speak to your heart and bring freedom. We will have amazing hilltop moments and experiences, but character is not developed through breakthrough moments. We don't experience fruit of the Spirit in those moments. The fruit of the Spirit, the process moments, the abiding in the vine, are, are what happens over a long period of time. The fruit of the Spirit but the, uh, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, these aren't lists of behaviors. These are characteristics that are grown in, brother, in, in people who are following Jesus intentionally over a long period of time. You can't just pray that you're patient most of the time and you just, oh, I'm going to be patient all of a sudden and drive really slow and eat slow and not worry about how fast people are going in front of me or not have that tension when they're not putting the thing down at the supermarket so you can put your stuff up, you can't reach it and you're getting really frustrated because they haven't. Everyone knows you put it down no matter what. You can't just zap it out of you, right? That takes time. It takes, I'm impatient. I need to slow down, chill out. They're not doing this to you on purpose, Darren. (laughs) The only command in that Galatians passage is to walk in the Spirit. So we wake up, we discipline ourselves, 
we walk with Jesus, we open our Bibles, we invite the presence into our lives. Every single morning I wake up, I say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your presence? And I open up the scriptures, even when I don't want to, because I know that it's going to do, those are the moments of discipline, process moments that do something. So we show up to community. When we don't want to be in community, that's when you need it most. We serve other people when we don't want to because it does something to you. We choose to lay our lives down for others. That never feels good, does it? No, it's never, it's never going to be easy to die. Right? This is what Bill was after last week. It's never easy to die to yourself. But as we take on the habits and practices, as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, Every single day, every, every, even right now, brothers and sisters, as I'm speaking, as I say this, invite the presence of God into your life. Remind God he's welcome in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your body. Do it when you don't feel like it. And that, over a long period of time, produces a kind of person that is full of fruit of the Spirit, who breathes in the kingdom oxygen and is willing to give that oxygen to others. Dallas Willard says the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposely undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. Disciplines, they enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. And as we yield ourselves to God, as those that are alive from the dead, and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 puts it. So over a long period of time, we derive our very power for existence from the supernatural realm. And our, our, our existence become, our, our body, our mind, our spirit, our social interaction become members that have been made alive in Christ, new creation, and they become instruments of righteousness for the world. This happens only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to begin to practice an ongoing loving relationship with God. How do we do this? Well, the first thing is we need to open our lives up to God, our whole life to God. And my assumption is if you're like me, there are areas in your life where God really needs to come in. We're trying really hard on our own to fix our marriage, to be better parents, to deal with that anger, to deal with that impatience, to deal with the lust. And I want to invite you, even right now, to invite God into that place. For many of us, it's a place of deep shame, a place of hiding. It's a place where we keep secrets. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to illuminate those things in our lives so we live no longer with secrets we no longer have to hide, and we no longer have to deal with the shame because the chances are everyone else is struggling with something similar in this room. But I want to invite you to begin to open up your heart, open up your life, practically, intentionally, to the Spirit of God to allow the change to happen in you. We are people of presence, the presence of God. And we need to discipline ourselves to enter into his presence. When worship time comes on Sunday, we should be singing the songs of the Spirit as we come in, waiting for that first note to hit, rather than slowly meandering in, drinking our coffees, which I'm guilty of. 
But this is the time where we come together. Who knows what can happen when the people of God gather in his name because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Shackles will fall off. Past lives will be broken. False identities done in an instant when the people of God come with faith singing songs of liberation. Or are we singing songs of defeat? Songs of captivity? Songs of bondage? I just know God wants to put a new song in your life and bring freedom to your life because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.